Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. All right. If you've got your Bibles tonight, um, I want to just start by reading a particular scripture, a couple scriptures. Yeah, 2 Timothy, the third chapter. And I'm going to be reading from verse 1. Know, or this know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. You may be seated. I, I don't need to tell you the kind of world we're living in. Anybody that walks out the side, outside the doors of this church or their own home and goes out into society, they, they see the, the footprints of evil everywhere. The Bible actually says that in the last days, men's thoughts would be evil continually. And I, I'm going to talk about this a little later on in what I'm sharing with you tonight, but Jesus was speaking about the days of Noah, and he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be with the coming of the Son of Man. Well, most people were aware of what happened in the days of Noah, even in the time of Christ. They were aware that there was a worldwide judgment, and only seven people survived. But I want to start tonight by just telling you to relax. This is just going to be sort of a study sort of a deal. And I might even ask you a trivia question here and there. For instance, it's April 24th. Something happened 10 days ago that was monumental. On April 14th, something happened in history that, that, that shook us very much. Can anybody tell me what it was? It was, a, it was broadcast around the world. Really? Okay, I'm not going to make it. April 14th, 1912. Does that help you? Yeah. How many were here in 1912? Not me. I wasn't even a thought at that time. Um, you ever hear of the Titanic? Oh, now it all comes back. It all comes back now. Everybody remembers the Titanic. And so, to, so tonight, I'm, I'm going to take a little time and I'm going to reflect on that incident on April 14th, 
1912, that night as people on the Titanic crawled into their bed, they never realized that they would never see another sunrise. So some of the things that I'm going to share with you, I I come from a book called um, Seeking Spiritual Strength. It's written by Dr. John Hobbs. The world situation in 1912, and of course many of you wouldn't know this, was it was much like today. It had been well over 100 years since there was a war fought on this continent. Trivia question, what would that war be? Civil War. So it had been a relatively long period of peace. There was great optimism. The culture was thriving. Technology was booming. Uh, Many, many inventions were coming to pass. The the automobile was coming into existence. Technology was, was taking off. The scientific discoveries, the industrial revolution... That it was changing the whole world. And it became a time when technology actually became a god to people. Matter of fact, people looked at the uh, re, um, evolving technology as the savior of mankind feeling that they were going to solve all the major problems and that there was nothing that could happen that was so bad that man couldn't solve it. But there was also a time when people took great joy in showing off. They, they wanted to show the world how rich they were, how, and they became very pompous. Wealth was actually worship. There were different classes of people. People started to live longer. And it looked like nothing could hold man back. You know, Mark Twain uh, coined these words in one of his books. He called that period of time the Gilded Age. So I I looked up the word gilded because I said, I don't remember using that word too much. Does anybody have any idea what the word gilded means? The Gilded Age. If you go back, as you're doing right now on your cell phone, on Google, you will find out one of those definitions is covered with gold. Everything was covered with gold. In other words, it wasn't pure gold. It had the semblance of pure gold. And I look at our society and I see everything covered with a falsity. Something that that's not deeply embedded in our nature, but something that is only on the surface. When the Titanic was produced, it was considered a monument of man over nature. They had built a boat that was going to be virtually unsinkable. But not only was it going to be unsinkable, but it was going to be the epitome of luxury. One of the carpenters that built the boat said this about it. 
The Titanic was the, was the last word in luxury, the last word in craftsmanship. She was, and that was the end of the quote, it was actually compared to a floating palace. What were some of the things that were on that boat? Well, some of you probably have an idea, but there were more than one Turkish bath. There were a swimming pool. There were more than one tennis court. There were more than one gymnasium. There were ballrooms and elevators. It truly was luxurious. The size of that boat was 882.5 feet long. That's almost three football fields long. It was 175 feet high. How much do you think one of the anchors weighed? And as a truck driver, I, I, I figure how much in tons. One anchor, just one anchor, weighed 15.5 tons. Over, I've got to do the math now, it's 30,000 30, pounds. Um, she had 16 watertight compartments from the, from the front of the ship, and you can tell I'm not a shipman because I would have to say, what's the front of a ship? What's the rear? Stern. All right, I learned something tonight. From the bow to the stern, 16 waterproof compartments. Waterproof compartments. They felt if one section of the boat was damaged, they could close the compartment where the damage was and the boat would be able to continue to float. But it was determined that the person that designed that boat said it could float if there were no more than five compartments that were flooded, any more than five compartments, and it would be impossible for the boat to float. But no one could imagine that there could be that much of an extensive damage on this boat, so they called it unsinkable. It's unsinkable. That was actually printed in the Shipbuilder magazine back in 1912. They quoted, the, it's practically unsinkable. But we know at 11.40 p.m. on April 14th, 1912, on a cold, cold Sunday night in the Atlantic Ocean, 450 miles south of Cape Race, the Titanic struck a huge iceberg. Now, that, many people don't realize this, but there were six boilers on that boat. They had only been running four to five, and they weren't even going to, since it was its maiden voyage, they didn't want to really kick in the sixth boiler. They really didn't need it. And the captain said he wanted to prove the ship. But all of a sudden, the people encouraged them, or him, to make history by making the crossing from Europe to the United States in record time so that it would be a notable event. So let's kick in the sixth boiler Let's put the pedal to the metal, knowing that there were icebergs possibly in the area where they were. The captain agreed, 
and he kicked in the sixth boiler, and they let it fly. Because it's unsinkable, that iceberg put holes along 300 feet of the starboard side of the Titanic, flooding six compartments. Therefore, and the, the person, the architect of the Titanic was on the boat, he determined himself again that it was impossible for the boat to continue to float with six compartments flooded. It certainly, it was determined, was going to sink. And at 2.20 a.m. on April 15th, the Titanic went down. Now, I'm not going to ask you this question because unless you're on Google right now, you're not going to tell me. How many people were on the boat? 2,207 people were on board. And out of all those people, 705 were picked up from the 16 lifeboats that were on the Titanic. 1,502 people died that night because people were convinced that the ship was unsinkable and thus they could be reckless. I want to look at some things that we can learn from the story. Um, the first thing is many of the people that were there were putting their trust in mankind. They were putting trust in a boat, in the construction of the boat. They were putting their trust in a captain who for 40 years had never even had a problem. He was a proven sailor. Captain Smith, he was the most highly paid captain for the line that the Titanic was, the White Star Line. And basically, the crew and the passengers worshipped the guy because he was certainly capable of getting them from point A to point B. With all of his wisdom, with all of his experience, they trusted him. They trusted the boat. Many of the people brought their wealth with them and their riches. And they were, going, they were trusting in their wealth as well. There was nothing at that time in 1912 that couldn't be bought. But my Bible tells me that if you want to be wise, that you should, Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. In other words, don't leave any portion of your faith in, in, the, in humanity. Trust in God solely. You know, it's, 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 it's humanity. It's a human sense to want to trust the things that you have. To uh, How many times do I hear uh, on advertising, do you, is your 401k enough? Is your retirement plan sufficient? Do you have enough money saved to live a comfortable life? Put your trust in the things that you possess. 
Become the master of your own destiny and control your own fate. But friend, people realize that they have very little control when it's all said and done. Now, I know the Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. But I think if we look at that accurately, it says that money's not evil in itself. It's, it's something necessary to uh, make transactions. But if your love or your trust is in what you have, you're going to be very disappointed. Let me give you another date. None of you succeeded on this date, last date, but I'll give you a chance to redeem yourself. <laughs> October 21st, 15 years after the sinking of the Titanic, what happened? If I tell you the, the year, you're going to guess right away. 1929, October 21st, 1929. Yep, the stock market crashed. And just like people were jumping off the Titanic trying to save themselves as the ship went down in 1929 in our country, people jumped off bridges. They took their lives because everything that they had trusted in, everything that they had built up seemed to disappear in one day. I, I, I sometimes think that when we, we have sufficient funds that we have a tendency not to look at God in the way that when we do when we're desperate for survival. It's sort of like we begin to coast. Consider 1 Timothy 6 and verse 17. Paul writes this and he says, Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. I like that. God provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. But if I put my trust in the things that I am able to do, the things that I am able to accomplish, when my arm fails, I will fall. If I am leaning on something that can be broken, I increase my chances of failure. But if I am leaning... And standing upon a foundation that cannot be shaken, I will stand in the midst of tragedy. I want to share something with you tonight, and I'm going to be very vague about it, but I hear it all the time in what I do. And this is a recent, recent event, very recent, and that's all I'll say about where it happened but I was talking to an individual, he was 70 years old, and I was meeting him for the first time, and um, we started to talk about uh, what was going on in his life. He said, just three months ago, chaplain, I was living a normal life. I, everything was going fine, he had a beautiful home, 
And here I am, now actively dying. He said, it's, I went from the picture of health to this situation in three months. Do you know what my mind says when I hear things like that? I think about what Solomon thought. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. What, what good is it if man gains the whole world, but he loses his own soul? But I looked at him, and I didn't say it to him, but I said it to myself, you, friend, are blessed. Because you have a chance to change. God has given you the time to prepare for your departure. And we started to talk, and I said, well, what's in your mind? Now, what are you thinking about at this stage? And he said, I don't know if I can, I'm going to be able to go to heaven. I don't know whether I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to go to heaven. And I thought this would not have happened unless he was facing this situation. Now, a lot of people would say, well, get the Bible, I'll go to Acts 2.38. What a hack. Why would you do that? I, I, I'm, I'm going to be real upfront with you. I, I, after 14 years now of doing this, don't you think before a person gets married that they should date, that they should fall in love with each other? Don't you think they should have a time of of getting to know each other? It's almost sometimes when we do things, we do it to consummate an action to, pro, to procure a benefit. And he said, I don't know what to do. And I said, well, let me make it easy for you. Jesus summed this up to make it really simple for humanity. The law and the prophets could all be summed up in two commandments. And I said, what we'll do first is we'll work on the first one. And if we can get the first one, and then we can work on the second one, you'll have no problem with the rest. And he said, well, what's the first one? This is, this is the first commandment, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all, my, all thy might. If you, can, if you can do that, if you can somehow love him, well, how do you love someone? Well, they tell me, and it's been a long time since I've dated, <laughs> I think they just invented the word when I started. They say that when a, a man likes a woman and he thinks he loves her, it's usually not the true love, it's usually infatuation. And as the relationship continues, the infatuation turns to friendship. And as it turns to friendship, it becomes more intimate. And then it develops into love. I would never ever, ever recommend someone marrying someone in the first or the second stage. And so when I... I, I come to the relationship with God. I said, now, where do we start? 
where do we start, I, he said to me, where do I start? I said, well, the first thing is you've got to have communication. You cannot build a relationship without any communication. I said, do you, do you ever talk to God? And he hesitated. I said, you know what? It's really simple. Me and you are having a conversation. Have you ever thought about talking to God like we're talking? And it was so new to him, yet he, had, he was, had been somewhat of a member, active member of a church. And I said, where you start is you put Jesus in, in your mind, place him in the chair right there. I know God fills all space and all time. He's omniscient and omnipresent. But sometimes in our human form, we need to have something that we can relate to and that we can focus on. And I want you, when I leave, or we'll pray before I go, I want you to start to talk to God and all these things that are going through your mind. I want you to talk to him about those things. And I did share some of the scriptures about being born again. I says, well, and that's where we're going to start. But I want you to concentrate on the realization that God is with you all the time. Even when... Uh, your caretaker leaves and you're all alone. You're never alone. You're never alone. And I want you to put your trust in him. Up to that time, I'm sure he's like a lot of humanity. They put their trust in what they are able to do, their occupation, their abilities. And I know I hit home. I, I, I told him that I, I would come call back in probably about nine or ten days. And he says, why can't you come all the time? That's a good sign. And I said, well, I'll, I'll always call you before I come. He says, no, I'm always here. Just come anytime. Just walk into the house anytime. I know, and, and that's a, a desperate and hungry heart, but that desperation is coming out of his situation. Some of the things that happen in our life, the tragedies in our life, change our perspective on life. Do you know after the tragedy with the Titanic, somebody made a law. They made a law that you had to have enough lifeboat space for every person on a boat. They didn't have that on, on the Titanic. The Titanic had the bare minimum of lifeboats. They had 16 lifeboats. They should have had 42 to accommodate 2,000 and one day, what did I say, 100 people. They didn't even have enough lifeboats for them because nobody thought they'd ever have to use a lifeboat. This is unsinkable. Sometimes when, when we learn from these situations, we learn that uh, we need to serve others. Do you know how many lifeboats the, the Titanic was capable of taking? 64. They had designed it to carry 64 lifeboats. 
But you know why they didn't take 64? They didn't want so many lifeboats on it that it would detract from their philosophy that it was unsinkable. And it would clutter the dock space. It would take up dock space. We don't want, we want just enough of Christ to maybe get us to heaven. We don't want him cluttering our life. We don't want him infringing on our freedom. We don't want people thinking that we're dependent on God. Well, that, that's thrown out the window when all of a sudden tragedy strikes and an iceberg comes into our life. And all of a sudden we realize that we're, we're not unsinkable, that we're human and we're fragile. What were they thinking when they loaded the last lifeboat? And all the people that were standing on the dock realized that there was no room left. Do you know when they first started loading the lifeboats, nobody wanted to get in? Because they were still floating. You've told us that it's unsinkable. It's cold out here. Do you know how cold the water was that night? 28 degrees. The water was 28. It was cold. Oh, this is just the drill. They're just going to put us in the lifeboats and then they're going to take us out of the water and then they're going to bring us back in. We're going to have to get back in the boat. I'm not going to follow that drill. They told me when I bought my ticket that this boat would never sink. So as they started to lose, they, they couldn't convince them to get on until there were several explosions on the boat. It was then that people began to realize that it was sinking. And then calamity set in because everyone ran to the boats and it was only women and children. There were people, there was a lot of wealthy people on this boat. This was a, this was a real uh, identification for the wealthy. I was on the Titanic on the maiden voyage. There were a lot of wealth there and there were wealthy men trying to buy their way onto boats. Some, it's recorded in history from survivors that there were people just throwing their money over the board, over the side. What good is my money? What good is my wealth? How is it going to save me? One guy's trying to pay off, pay off one of the, the orderlies from the boat that was there to help with the evacuation. Here, take this money. If you let me on the boat, you can have all of it. The man realizing that he wouldn't be able to spend it, threw it away. What good is it? But I think about the honorable men and women that were on that boat that helped others to survive knowing that they were going to die. They were, the captain went down with the boat. All those, all those people that were uh, not servants, all of the, the orderlies, I guess I'm calling them, stayed by their, their stations and did everything they could for evacuation, knowing that they were going to die. 
they had a heart of service. Ephesians 2.9 talks about this very well. It says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God's prepared in advance for us to do. Our position in this drama we call life for this particular period of time is to help the orderly evacuation from this earth. This earth is held in store for judgment. One day, this earth is going to sink, so to speak. It's going to be consumed by fire. We are left here to serve. Matthew 20 and 28 says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He he didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And then in Galatians 5 and 13 it says, Because you brothers were marked out to be free, only do not make use of your free condition to give the flesh its chance, but through love be servants one to another. I think one of the things I learned from this story is that um, we need the value of service, the value of serving others. But there's also another lesson to be learned. Every time a pastor or a preacher or a minister or a teacher gets up and gives us a warning. We must take heed of those warnings. Let me tell you a little bit more about that night. The Titanic was warned seven times that night about icebergs. The next to last warning about icebergs came at 9.40 p.m. That was two hours before they hit that iceberg. That was just two hours before the collision. They were warned of icebergs. The message that they received on the Titanic was this. Much heavy packed ice. A great number of icebergs. That night, Jack Phillips was the radio operator on the Titanic. He wrote that message down and left it under a paperweight. He did not give it to the captain till 11.05 p.m. That was just 35 minutes before they had contact with the iceberg. There was a boat called the Californian, And he sent a message to the Titanic and it said this, Say, O man, we are stopped and surrounded by icebergs. Jack Phillips, the radio operator, sent the message back to him. Shut up. Shut up. I'm busy. Phillips never gave the message to the captain. The Californian 
was within 20 miles of the Titanic. Only 20 miles away. At 11.30 p.m., just 10 minutes before the collision, the Californian turned off its wireless radio and the, and the, the radio operator went to bed. Only, they say, 15 to 20 miles away. After the Titanic hit the iceberg, the Californian saw eight flares going up from the Titanic. They could see the flares, eight flares. They made, they had the thought, well, they're just uh, having a party. They're just sending signals to each other. It was a, then they made a half-hearted effort to contact the Titanic and they failed to make contact with the Titanic. You know, tonight there's a lot of people that laugh about religion. They be, they've become apathetic. They've become lukewarm. A lot of them have the attitude that religion is only for the children. Old women, old folks, people that are getting close to leaving this earth. If you try to talk to them about religion or even invite them to church, they act unconcerned. They make excuses. And sometimes they just laugh it off. But Hebrews says this in Hebrews 2 and 3. How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? How shall we escape if we ignore the warnings that God has given us about the day that we're living in? Two thousand and two hundred and seven people were on board the Titanic, but only enough lifeboats for twelve hundred. The Titanic, looking at it simply, was just totally unprepared. What was the last thing that was on people's mind as they faced that night? What were they thinking? How were they feeling? Awakened to the fact that the unsinkable was sinkable and that their life was held in the hands of fate. That the Titanic was going to sink. There wasn't room for them and that they were going to die. Amos, the fourth chapter, Amos writes these words, Prepare to meet thy God. In Jesus speaking in Luke, the 12th chapter, when he talks about the rich man that built the, the barns, he said, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Why was he foolish? Because he never took time to prepare for his own death. So what am I saying tonight? 
The Bible says to work out your salvation with much fear and trembling. Not to be afraid of death, to be, but to be very careful about how you prepare for it. I was thinking about the days of Noah as we started with that and how Noah preached for 120 years. They heard the message over and over again. Noah told them that there was going to be a flood and that they needed to be ready to go and be ready to get in the ark when it was completed. Not only just not to be ready, but could you help us build the ark? But because there never had been rain and they'd never seen a flood, they thought the world was unsinkable and that what Noah was saying could never happen. Tonight, because people have never seen the rapture, a rapture, they've never seen the taking away of people, living people up into heaven, they just think it's never going to happen. But the Bible says in the day that you think not, it shall come. It says that night on the Titanic that wives and children were separated from their husbands and fathers. Jesus speaks about the rapture of the church. One shall be taken, one shall be left. Just as people procrastinated about getting into the lifeboats from the, in the beginning, there's a lot of people, not just in the world, but in the church that are procrastinating about getting ready to meet God. That story I told you about that, that gentleman, I hear that all the time. I just never thought that I would get the diagnosis that I got. I just never... I'm. I'm 55, I'm 57, I'm 60. I just never thought it would happen. But I'll tell you what, if you're prepared, all of a sudden your outlook on departure is completely different. Do you know what Paul said? And I shared it with this gentleman. I said, you know, let me tell you. He said, I want to stay. I said, you want to stay because you've never envisioned or participated in what's prepared. I said, there was a man named Paul who ascended into the third heaven. The celestial, the terrestrial, the abode of God, three heavens. I went to the third heaven, which is the abode of God. And I saw and I heard unspeakable things he recorded. And then he wrote to Timothy and he said later, you know, I'm torn between two things. Now that I have seen and I've, I've heard I long to be with the Lord. I'm torn between two things. In one way, I long to depart and be with the Lord, but then I know it's needful for me to be here because of you. Paul's hope, after realizing what God had prepared for him, was I'd rather be with God than I would rather be on the earth. This is just the testing ground. This is just a place of proving but my home is not here. My temporary address is here. But God has prepared a place for me in heaven. That's my home. So I just wanted to share that tonight, and you'll remember that date.
But um, I pray that your trust is in the Lord. What is a scripture? Somebody give me a scripture tonight. Trust, a trust scripture. Right, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not upon thine own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he'll, he'll direct your paths because God is able to be trusted. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.